We built up now. We're uh, we're now in the 15th century, and this morning we're going to talk about the uh, the Hundred Years' War. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Carol Cusack to the studio. Carol, good morning. Thanks, Sally. The Hundred Years' War. Did it really go on for that long? Actually, rather longer. Um, I think the first military engagement was 1337, and the last was 1458. It didn't. It wasn't something that happened every day, though, was it? It was more a series of skirmishes along along the way. Or yeah, it was spasmodic. Mm. I mean, it was it was basically between France and England, though that simplifies things a lot because France, the monarchy of France in the 14th century, wasn't really um, what we now think of as France. It was only a small area around Paris, and all of the other parts of France, what we would think of as the provinces or regions, were dukedoms and counties that were um, connected to the French monarchy by ties of feudal loyalty. Mm. Um, yeah, well, there were a couple of things that started it off. Um, two things, really. The continuing quarrel that the English and the French had over who should have the lordship of the region called Gascony in the south of France. And the fact that Edward III, who became King of England in 1337, had a claim to the French throne. He believed that he was in fact closer to the person who was at that time sitting on the French throne, Philippe of Valois. I suppose people might think that the war between France and England has, has gone on for much longer. W the origins of the enmity between the two countries, did it, did it really start with this war, do you think? Or? Oh, no. Uh, no, I should think that we could go back to the Norman Conquest, which <laughs> we were talking about yes. earlier. Um, there was always this sense that um, England, you see, was a monarchy. The, the ruler of England was a king. Mm. Um, when you look to the continent, the king of France was the only sort of obvious... Um, uh, correspondence, another king, you know, a pair of kings. But the problem was, after William of Normandy conquered England, it meant that the king of Norm of, of England sorry, was a feudal vassal of the king of France, because right. William had been Duke of Normandy and had owed his allegiance to the king of France. So it meant that even though the English king was a king, he was never quite as much of a king as the French king, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so that made for great rivalry and for great complication. And the, the French thought that they had the superior claim. Well, yes, yes, because England didn't really have feudal dependence, mm. and feudal dependence were a lot of what made a medieval king powerful. So what uh, what was the, the basis of, of the fighting? Was it over territory? Was it religion? Was it a mixture of the two? Well, it was basically over the question of the Gascon territories initially mm. and then over territory more generally um, when we get to the very end of the Hundred Years War England lose their one last possession on the continent and that's the, the port town of Calais but at various points during the war say for example in the early 15th century when Henry V won the Battle of Agincourt and um, the settlement in 1420 after that, um, the English definitely had the upper hand and owned or had feudal sovereignty over an enormous number of territories in on um, the continent. Mm. Was the one particular battle that uh, that, that turned the Hundred Years' War or, or was the, it was just a series of little fights that some won and, and some lost? Well, there are a couple of big ones. Um, the earliest skirmishes were very minor, a sea battle at, at Slyes in what is now um, 
Holland. Um, it's fairly minor. But the big battles, well, Cressy, um, Poitiers and Agincourt probably mm. are the three big ones. The interesting thing about the Hundred Years' War was, of course, that it was actually interrupted by a number of uh, important things, including the Black Death. It had been running for ten years when the Black Death happened and the Battle of Cressy had been fought in um, 1346 and was a terrific victory to England but they couldn't actually capitalise on it because Europe then became kind of completely hysterical about this terrible plague mm. and so there was a kind of retreat and n no aggression for about another 10 years. Because nobody wanted to catch it from each other, was that it? Or? Well the English army had to fight on, on continental soil they had to actually move their army across the channel and and it was that's one of the reasons why France suffered great devastation during the Hundred Years War but England didn't because the fighting didn't happen on English soil so the French were the ones who had their crops stripped to feed the army and their grounds trampled by marching soldiers mm. and battlefields and so on and so forth but yes once the news of the plague was coming the English army retreated back to England it's significant though that Edward III of England and his wife Philippa of Hainaut were the only royal family in Western Europe, I think, to lose a child to the Black Death. Mostly um, the more privileged you were, the better the treatment you could get and the more you could isolate yourself yes. from the plague. One of their daughters, uh, a girl princess called Joan of the Tower, was actually travelling in the south of France at the time she was on her way, I think, to Poitiers uh, to get married. And because she was exposed, she wasn't with her family, she actually caught the plague and died, mm. uh, which caused them very great grief. But there was such a barrenness after the plague that it took another 10 years before, a, you know, kind of cudgels were taken up on both sides they, again. They didn't forget, it was oh, <laughs> no, no, just a rest. It, it, it lapsed every now and then for a little while, and sometimes there were short negotiated treaties that kind of gave windows of peace, but in general the conflict continued um, you know, to be pursued really to the end. Mm. The English might have believed with Agincourt and settlement afterwards that they were definitely in the ascendancy. The settlement caused Charles VI of France, who was a very problematic king, being mad most of the time, uh, to disinherit his son and to um, marry his daughter Catherine to Henry of England and to pass the crown of France on to any children they had. But the trouble with that was that Henry died only in his middle 30s, leaving Catherine a widow in her early 20s with a nine-month-old baby who became Henry VI of England. But children on thrones are very, very dangerous business. Um, mm. There's long, long periods of regency where other people have to administer the kingdom and it's very difficult to rally people around an infant sovereign. And of course, that's what um, caused the tide to turn in France because Charles the Prince, the Dauphin, who'd been disinherited, was at least a grown man. He didn't have much in the way of supporters. Um, French took the idea of the divine right of kingship very seriously and when he was disinherited, his mother, Isabel of Bavaria, said that one of the reasons why he should be disinherited was that he was not actually his father's son. He was the child of a relationship she'd had with somebody else and of course that meant that he wasn't really king as yes. far as the people in France and its its dependencies were concerned. So he was holed up in the town of Bourges most of the time and of course we all know what happens next. A very um, young, very inspired peasant girl 
turns up and says that God has told her that he's the true king of France mm. and that he is to be crowned and that the, the army is to take up its weapons against England again and that she'd come to raise the siege of Orléans. We still, I think, in the 20th century find Joan of Arc remarkable. Of course, people have been watching the miniseries, I take it. It started on television on Sunday and finished last night. I didn't see it, actually, so I don't know if it was any good. But she rallied the despairing Charles, um, got him up, got him to Reims, got him crowned, raised the siege of Orléans with the help of a couple of, of his uh, very capable generals, um, only had about 18 months on the stage before being captured and burned by the English in, um, in Normandy, but um, she changed the whole course of everything because Charles fought with renewed enthusiasm mm. after she died and it became necessary for him to, uh, she died in 1431 I think, she, uh, it became necessary for him to justify her if she'd been a witch or a heretic or, or some kind of wrongdoer then his claim to the throne, his coronation might all be invalid. So he fought on, got a trial of rehabilitation together, had her rehabilitated by a, an inquisition interviewing all the people who'd known her and worked with her and for evidence of her saintliness and finally as I say in 1458 took the last piece of territory that the English still had on French land uh, which was Calais uh, back from them and was over really. And history changed because of this young woman and the thing that I learned about Joan of Arc that I hadn't known before was that she was so young she was 16? Very, it's very hard to know mm. because peasants didn't really know their ages. She was either 17 or 20 when she died. Mm. It's, she, she wasn't sure and when you listen to the trial of rehabilitation they ask other people in the village and some of them say oh she was three years younger than me and some of them say oh she was two years older than me but they don't add up no. that lots of peasants didn't know how old they were but she really. was young and, Very, and, and yes. a remarkable story because without her things may have just uh, died down England may still own a little bit of France or what That's we know true. France today but of course they, it was helped by the fact that Henry VI was such a weak king, you know, that he w became king as an infant, uh, grew up to be most unkingly and not particularly competent, um, that the uh, defensive English interests on the continent had been left to his uncles, John of Bedford and Humphrey of Gloucester, and then later on a couple of distinguished English generals like um, the man known as the English Achilles, um, John Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury. But he had no great interest in prosecuting military matters. He was mostly interested in religion, really. Mm. And so it was a good time. France was rising, but also England was subsiding. So there was a, there was a, a fortunate... If, if the French had met with really serious English resistance and a, a martial, warlike king, who mm. knows how it would have gone. Yes, things mm. would have been very different. And that hundred, hundred Years' War, that, that, that was then the end of it, that battle when, um, when France pushed, pushed England back? Basically, yes. Was there some sort of peace treaty signed at that point? Um, there were treaties at the end of it. It's necessary always to finalise arrangements. Mm. But on the whole, it was one of those things... It had extraordinary moments of, of drama and tension at certain points during the period of 120 years, but it fizzled out at the end. It just dwindled. Ended away. with a whimper, not a bang. Really, yes. <laughs> Carol Cusack, thank you very much.